we pray. Amen. So as Glenn was uh, referencing right before service, he's like, hey, it's good to have you back. I saw that picture of you and your wife. Y'all were uh, in Riviera Maya. And so we were, we were in Riviera Maya this, this past week. We were able to get away and spend some time completely and totally unplugged. Uh, Matt asked me uh, this past Tuesday, he said, how long does it take you to unplug? Like he said, you know, he was talking about how for him it's like two or three days where he has to unwind a little bit and he has to, so he's still doing work. So when he was on vacation before we left and he's emailing me and texting me stuff about work. And I'm like, dude, you're in Hawaii. Why are you talking to me? Right? Like, why are you talking to me? But he's, so he's like, it takes me a couple, you know, two, three days to unwind. And then I finally get in vacation mode. And then I'm really only there for two or three days. And I'm like, that is not me. I show up in Riviera Maya, my phone goes in the safe, and I forget you exist. That's just the truth, okay? But while we're there, uh, while we're there, uh, there were several times that we were having a conversation with people, and they were asking us our name, and they were like, they would say, hey, you know, Brian Yates or Yates, or, you know, like several times they're pronouncing it. And then they would ask, they would say, well, how do you, you know, how do you pronounce your name? And we're like, Yates, and they're like, Yates, and I'm like, Right? And so uh, this past week I was listening to, uh, I was listening to last week's sermon, I was listening to Matt's sermon, and uh, you know, for the first two weeks, Tony was pronouncing it Philemon, and then Matt shows up and starts pronouncing it, right, Philemon, and y'all are going, which one is it? To which I would say, personally, um, I would go with filet mignon because, <laughs> because everybody loves a good steak, right? But here's the thing. Philemon is the Greek pronunciation. The English pronunciation is philemon. It really doesn't matter how you pronounce it. What matters is what we're seeing and finding in the gospel here and what we're seeing in this book. It is, um, man, it's not important how it's pronounced, but what is in it? And this is a Man, it is a priceless treasure that oftentimes, but I, I don't know whether if it's because it's such a small book that it oftentimes gets overlooked or neglected. As Tony mentioned uh, in week one, if you haven't been here for all the messages, I would encourage you to go back and listen to, listen to those. Those are on the website. But oftentimes this book has been abused too in some ways to justify some sin that, that people want to uh, in regards to slavery, and so like, not so it's been neglected, it's been abused, and, and a lot of times it's just ignored and at great cost. And so there's a lot of things that we find in this book, but here's what I want to summarize as we're as we're wrapping things up. This will be our final study through this through this book tonight. Here's here's the way I want to summarize it. This little book reveals the heart of Paul and the impact that the gospel is to have on ev- our everyday lives. So what we're going to see, and what we've seen over the past several weeks, is we see the heart of Paul. Like, what is his heart? And his heart is wrapped around the gospel, and not only that, but it's wrapped around the gospel and how it impacts and intersects with our, our daily lives. And so what is, this, what is this book about? It's about how the gospel works in real life. So we throw, around this con- we throw around the word gospel a lot, and we're going to talk about that as we continue to have this discussion tonight. But like, what is, what is the gospel? But not only that, what Paul does here is like, this is what the gospel looks like for you to live this out in everyday life. And so if you ever just want to know, like, okay, well, what's the gospel? And like, what is this, what is this supposed to look like? What is this intended to, to look like? Well, well this, is, this is it. And we don't have time to go back and uh, just look back over everything that's been discussed over the last few weeks. But what I do want to do is I want to read the text uh, that Matt uh, was talking about last week because it really is this continuation. Tonight is a continuation of that. And so let's just look back over uh, what Matt was talking about last week. So in verse 8, and this is on your handout, uh, or you can grab the Bible in front of you or if you brought your Bible or in Philemon, or Philemon, or whatever you want to call it, that's where we are. So in verse 8, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ, uh, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, am now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. 
I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So real quickly, what Paul could have done here is the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he could have easily said, he could have commanded him exactly what to do. And that's what he's saying. Like, I I could tell you what to do. I could command you and tell you exactly what you need to do. That you need to forgive Onesimus, you need to receive Onesimus. But he doesn't do that. What he does is he uses it as a teachable moment. And, there is, and it really has, uh, if we, you know, it's easy for us to read words on a page, but if you stop and think about really what's going on in this situation, it's a tense moment. And there's tension in this moment. And what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't just uh, impart his will or impose his will on Philemon. He doesn't impose his will on Onesimus. He's letting the Spirit of God move and work. And what he's doing is, is he's seeing this as an opportunity So what could be seen as something that we need to avoid or something where we need to impose our will, Paul sees it as something completely different. He's saying, hey, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. It's a teachable moment. And so in this moment, what we can do is not push away from it, shy away from it, impose our will. What we can do is we we can see this as an opportunity for everybody involved to learn how to live out the gospel in their lives. And that's exactly what he does. And what we see here is the same thing that we see in our lives all the time, that God is always at work in more than just one way. He is always at work in more than just one way. And so we look at at Philemon. And what is Paul doing here? He's He's reminding Philemon of the gospel and how that how that intersects in this situation how that the implications of that in this specific situation and that what's going to what's going to happen here is there's going to be an opportunity for Philemon to grow in grace and to become more like Christ and so there's this opportunity that's presented but in the middle of that he's not just working on Philemon he's working on Onesimus too think about think about Onesimus situation and honestly, we don't really even know how this, how this plays out. But, but like, what, what do you think it would be like? Onesimus wronged Philemon. Onesimus, we see here, we can see that he stole in some way, shape, or form. We don't know what it was, but he stole from Philemon. And now he's going back. And Paul's saying, hold on. you you got to take responsibility for your actions. And yes, the gospel has covered that and it just doesn't change your position in Christ, but we have to take responsibility for our actions. And, and sometimes there's, there's consequences that we have, to, we have to suffer. Tony gave a great illustration of that in week, in week one. And it's an opportunity because Onesimus doesn't know how this plays out, but he's going to go back. But he's going to carry this letter, but he's going to go back. And it's an opportunity for Onesimus to learn how to to trust God when, when life is uncertain, when we don't know how it's going to play out, when we don't know if the hammer's going to drop, and to walk and step out in obedience. And so God's at work, and not just that, but also in Paul too. That, that Paul, we're going to see tonight, is like he's, he's giving the perfect picture. He's following in the footsteps of Christ, and he's just, just giving a perfect example of what it means to sacrifice and to, to do it in such a way that it's like Christ, that the gospel is, is taking root and taking shape in, in Paul's life as well. All right, verse 11. He says, uh, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Matt talked about this last week. The word Onesimus actually means useful. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So Paul cares deeply about Onesimus' sacrifice for him to send Onesimus because he was with him. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Paul doesn't want to presume on Philemon. that He wants to do the right thing for everybody involved. We're all going to do the right thing. And so Onesimus is going, I'm sacrificing by sending him, and then you're going to get the opportunity to grow in grace. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that, he might have, uh, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, 
but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so what Paul is saying here, this is where you know Matt ended last week. What Paul's saying is like, hey, Onesimus left you, but the man that's coming back is not the same man that left. His, his life has been forever changed by the gospel. And so if, if that had never taken place, if that had never occurred, then Onesimus would never be returning to you. But Onesimus is not the same man. And his position has changed too. He's not returning to you as a bondservant. He's returning to you as a brother in Christ first and foremost. That he belongs to God. That his identity is now in Christ. And so you receive him as such. And so he's not the same man. And that's what happens when, when, when our lives intersect the gospel. When we come face to face with the gospel, when Christ steps in and changes our hearts and our life, we, we walk away not the same people. We walk away different. And so that means that we change the way that we do things. We walk in a different way. And we, we answer to not to ourselves anymore, but we answer to King Jesus. Right? And so that's what Onesimus is doing. He's setting aside his desires and he's, he's responding to Christ in obedience. Okay? So that's where we ended. Let's, let's pick up now uh, in verse 17. We'll just read it straight through. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want, uh, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And so essentially there he's saying like, hey, pray for me because he's in prison. He's like, my, my desire is to come to you. And there's nothing more valuable than Christian friends that will take care for and, and provide for you in your time of need. And then he says in verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so to Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, so Let's just, uh, we're going to unpack this in really big, two main ideas, and then we'll, we'll have some implications of really the whole book of Philemon. But two main ideas here, and the main idea, number one, is this, that as followers of Jesus, we must bring the gospel to bear on every aspect of life. You know, it's interesting. So, so like I said, like the, this fleshes itself out in real life. What does this look like in real life? What, is the go- what are the gospel implications for us just in, in real life? Um, it's interesting to me that the, the word gospel is only mentioned one time in this whole book right here. And it's in verse, uh, it's in verse 13 where he says, uh, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on, behalf, uh, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So it's only mentioned one time. We really don't get a picture of what the gospel is right there. But here's the thing, that the gospel of of Jesus is oozing out of every part of this letter. Like we see the gospel just completely and totally flowing out of this letter. It's what it looks like to to be lived out. And so one of the things that we can see as we read through this letter is we can see that the Apostle Paul was a gospel saturated man. That the gospel had saturated Paul's life. It, it so was a part of his DNA that it flowed out in everything that he, he said. It flowed out of everything that he did. And that's the example that we have and the example that we should, that we should follow. And how do I know this? Well, let's just look at what he says in the letter. Let's, let's just look at uh, these few verses that I just read. Let's, let's look at a couple of them. So in verse 17... He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. He says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. When you see him, you see me. Stop and think about that. He's saying, I want you to receive him the same way. I want you to give him the same welcome that you would give me. That when he comes to you, he has the same standing before you that I would have before you. He would get the same treatment that 
that I would get if I was standing in front of you. You receive him the same way that you receive me. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound, you, you ever heard that anywhere before? You think Paul heard that anywhere before? Like, what, where do we hear that? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All throughout the Gospels you see where, well, you see where Jesus makes a statement. He says, you know, as, as the Father receives me, he receives you. And so our standing before God, that, the, that God the Father receives his children based on the standing of Christ. And so where did, where did Paul get this? Well, he got this from, from Jesus. That when our identity is in Christ, what God does is he re- receives his children because he receives Christ. That we can't approach God on our own merit. We don't get to stand before God because, hey, our list of good things outweighs the list of our bad things. We don't get to stand before God because we only did little bitty sins. You know, we only told white lies. We didn't murder anybody. And so we don't stand before God on any merit of our own. We don't, we don't do that. that. That it's all filthy rags before God. We, the only way that you and I can stand before God is solely based on the finished work of Christ. That's the only way. Because he did what we couldn't do. And Paul understood that. And he's saying, hey, that, that Christ lived the perfect life. He, he paid the debt and the penalty that, that we deserved. He, he did it all. And so he is the only one that can stand before God the Father. And because we're in Christ, now we can stand before God the Father. And that's the only way. It doesn't have anything to do with us. And so he's saying, hey, I want you to, you know my reputation with you. You know what I've done for you. You know where I stand with you. Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. It's the gospel. It's, it's being lived out right here. In verse, uh, in verse 18, he continues. He says, uh, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Verse 19, he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So it's like a personal little IOU for Paul. I imagine Timothy is probably writing this out, and Paul says, hey, hand, hand me that letter. I need to write this with my own hand. He's like, he, so he writes his own personal little IOU and says, hey, here's the thing. If he owes anything to you, it's clear that he does. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repay it. I'm, whatever it is, whatever the debt is, whatever it is that, that he took from you, whatever it is that he, that he owes you, whatever it is, then I, I pay it. And clearly Onesimus had wronged him. He owed him. And he says, I'll pay the debt. Put it on my account. Once again, does that sound familiar? Yeah, there was somebody else who said that. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14 says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And so we stand before God. Listen to me. This is such good news. We stand before God as runaway slaves as rebels, as lawbreakers. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The penalty, the payment for our sin is death. We deserve that. That's what we, and we stand there before God and we have nothing with which to pay with. Our righteousness is filthy rags and whatever it is, we're guilty, we're guilty of it. And Jesus stands and says, He belongs to me. She belongs to me. Put that debt on my account, and he's the only one who could pay. He took our place, and he paid our debt. That is unbelievably good news. And Paul's like, I get that, and I want to do that for other people. I want want the the fact and the reality that this thing is, is true for me, I'm willing to take that step and make that sacrifice for others. And that's what he's doing here for Onesimus. If you keep reading in verse 19, he says, um, he says, to say nothing of you owing me 
even your own self. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Then what Paul does is he goes on to remind Philemon. He's saying, look, don't, that's what God did for you. And so he's reminding him of the gospel. He's saying, don't forget, the, this, is what, this is what God did for you. And so clearly Paul's saying, hey, remember, I'm the one who led you to Christ. So don't forget about how we got here. You, you're in Christ because I poured into you, I invested in you, I sowed into you, and the God of the universe saw you in your depravity, saw you the same way that he saw Onesimus, and he, he rescued you, he paid your debt, he stood in your place, he receives you because he receives Christ. He says, don't, don't forget exactly what's been done for you. He says, now receive Onesimus the same way that, that God in Christ is receiving, is receiving you. And then, what you know, in the midst of that, that's what God did for him. But then, all of a sudden, now it's like Philemon's got to come be at the place where he realizes what he's received. And what, what Paul is asking him to do for Onesimus seems really, really insignificant compared to what God had done for him. And that's the same thing that should be true for us. When we understand what God has done for us, right? And so all of us, all of us who live under the lordship of Jesus must never forget who we once were. And, and we've got to remember, and we don't, that's not who we were. We don't, we don't carry that identity around anymore. That's, not, that's who we once were. But we need to be reminded of exactly who we were so that we can be reminded of exactly what God did for us. Because it has huge implications on what we do when we're reminded of who we, who we were. And what God has worked, and this, this is what he's saying in the verse, verse 20 there. He's saying what God has worked in, in Philemon's heart is now becoming a reality in his relationship with Onesimus. And that should be the same thing for us. Like what God has worked out in our hearts, what God has done in our heart, then that should be fleshed out in the way in which we respond and relate in our relationships with the people around us. We don't get to treat people however we want. We treat people based on how God treated us. We love people based on how God has loved us. We forgive people based on how God has forgiven us. That's, that's what we're called to, to do. In, in Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so those who have been reconciled to Christ should be ready to do the same for the people around us. We, we can't hold people to a higher standard, right, and hold things against, against others that God isn't holding against us. And so we've got to be people who are, this, is, this just naturally flows out of, out of our lives. And so we should never forget this. We should never forget that we will never forgive anyone as much as I wanted to like make one page and just make this like the whole thing like th this right here we've got to realize we'll never forgive anyone as much as God in Christ has already forgiven us he, here's what here's what I was thinking today we um now we like to say that we know we're sinners and you know we like to say that but the truth is is we think we think way more of ourselves than what we really are. We are far worse than we imagine in our minds. We're far worse. Like, and so whatever you think of, whatever we think of ourselves, like we're far worse. And the God of the universe sees that and he still saw fit to slaughter his son so that we could have relationship with him. That the God of the universe sees just how awful we are and he chooses to call us friend. Like that's an unbelievable truth. And so we can, we can make light of our sin. We can make light of our situation. We can make light of who we once were. But the truth is, is we are far worse than what we like to admit. And God knows it and God saw it and God still sent his son. And he did what we could not do. And he paid the debt that we deserve. And so he reconciled uh, reconciled. Philemon, and he's calling Philemon to reconcile with Onesimus. And here, here's, so I thought about several things as I was preparing for this message. 
Um, but one of the things I spent some time thinking about is the fact that the, I think a lot of times Christians and people who um, are in the church oftentimes think the gospel is, is just for salvation. Like we need the gospel. That's how we come to, that's how we come to faith, right? We need the gospel to, to come to, to faith. But the, and that's true. But we need the gospel every single, every single day of our lives following the moment that we surrender our lives to Christ after being confronted with the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't end. I think a lot of times what happens is as Christians and people in the church, like they, they hear the gospel and like, okay, well, that was for, that's for people who need to come to Christ. And we don't, we don't realize that we need, we need the gospel to saturate our hearts and saturate our minds and saturate our lives every single moment of every single day. We never move on from the gospel. And guess what? Paul understood this. It was so ingrained in everything. Look, you read through the letters uh, in the New Testament, you read through all Paul's letters, it is so ingrained in everything that he writes, in everything that he says, in everything that he instructs, in everything that he does. Listen to what he's saying right here. I mean, the way he thinks, the way he instructs, the way he does everything, everything filters through the gospel, everything. His life is saturated with the gospel. All right, and then our second, uh, our second idea for tonight is that as followers of Jesus, we should encourage the transforming work of the gospel in the lives of other believers. And so idea one is how it impacts our daily lives. Uh, idea number two is that we should, be, we should be spurring other believers on for the gospel to take root in their heart and in their lives and talk about what this looks like in real life. And so as we see, we see in this letter that there's just a perfect example and illustration of what what the gospel looks like in real life. And, and Paul is spurring both Onesimus and he's spurring Philemon both along to live out the, the gospel. And we should be doing the same. If you uh, continue, verse 21, he says, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I, than I say. Paul's saying here, he's saying... I know you well enough to know that you're going to go beyond what we're even the conversation that we're even having. Whatever it is that I would ask of you, I know that you're that you're going to go beyond that. And let's just time out here. Side note, I don't know, like I don't know about you, but man, this is isn't this what we want people to say of us and to think of us? That oftentimes when we go into a, when we know that we need to have a conversation or there's this tense situation and we're not really sure how people are going to respond. And oftentimes, if, if we're honest, we oftentimes think uh, negatively and think about all the ways that it could go sideways and all the ways that it could go wrong. And we try to shore things up and like, okay, well, if they do this or if they say this and I'm going to take this angle. And, and Paul doesn't do that. Like Paul has seen the gospel take root in Philemon's life. And so he is confident that Philemon is going to respond the same way that he's seen him respond before. He knows the character and nature. He knows the integrity that he has. And he's like, hey, I have full confidence that you're going to respond. You're going to go above and beyond anything that I can, could ask or think. And isn't that what we want? Like, don't we want people to, to have that confidence in, in us? That, that the people that know us best, not that we're going to be perfect, that we're always going to respond the perfect way, but at the end of the day, that we want to live out the gospel in our life and that, that the people around us have seen that over and over and over again. And that, that, that they, would, they would have belief in us that we're going to live out the gospel and we're going to we're going to handle this the right way, and not just the right way, but we're going to handle this better than what we're even be whatever whatever's expected. I just started thinking today about people in my life that that that's true of that I, that I'm like, hey, I have I have confidence that they're going to handle this. If something were going on, that they would handle this the right way. I want that to be said about me. And so, how does that happen? What does that look like? Well, it looks like gospel saturation. It looks like our hearts and our lives get saturated with the gospel and we allow it to infiltrate our minds and our hearts and it, and it plays out in the way in which we live our lives and as we walk in obedience and that, 
that we are an encouragement to the people around us, that we are an inspiration to the people around us, that we, we have an influence on the people around us for the gospel, for the good, for, for God. And so that's what, that's what I hope is true for, for you and for, for me. So, um, side note, back on track. Uh, I want you to notice something else that Paul doesn't do here. Paul doesn't tell Philemon what to do. He doesn't tell him what to do. Does Paul tell him? I mean, he lays out the gospel. He talks about a lot of things. He talks about what God did for him. But does he tell, does he tell him to free Onesimus? The answer is no. He doesn't. He doesn't tell him to free him. Does he tell him to send him back to me? Once you clear his record of debt and we're good, now send him back to me because he's going to be... He doesn't, he doesn't tell him what to do. Here's what Paul wants more than anything. Paul wants Philemon to be obedient to Christ, not obedient to Paul. He wants Philemon to be dependent upon Christ, not dependent upon Paul. And so, so what, is, what does Paul do? He lays out, this is the gospel. This is what the gospel looks like in real life. This is me saying, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to take the hit. I'm willing to do whatever it takes for this guy. Like, I'm, I'm willing. He, so he shows him the example of what this looks like in real life, the example. And then he allows the Holy Spirit to do whatever God wants to do so that Philemon will be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, so that Philemon will be looking to Christ and the gospel and what this looks like for him to actually follow in obedience. You know, a lot of times, I think, um, a lot of times we really like to be in control. Agreed? And if we're honest, and I, I see this all the time, uh, especially with, uh, with kids. Um, I, I mean, I even saw it in, in my own kids' lives. Like, as parents, a lot of times, we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in our children's lives. Or we try to play the role of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. Like we want to be the one in control. We want to be the one to make people change. We want to be the one to tell people what to do. And if you do it this way and do it my way and do it this, and we want control and we want to be able to just, and that's not what Paul does here. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. And so we got to be very careful if we try to step into a place where we're trying to play the, the role of the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life and move people in a direction and try to, um, you know, just persuade and influence and try to do all, all that we can do to get them to do what we want them to do instead of laying out the gospel in front of them, pointing them towards Christ, teaching them to be dependent upon Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them. God's way better God than we are anyway, Right? And so he knows what's best for them. And it's their relationship with Christ. It's not, it's not our relationship with Christ in, in, in between them. We're not the mediator there. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to lay out the gospel. We want to point out what God has done in, in their life and, and what God is doing in, in the other person's life and what God is wanting them. But, but at the end of the day, we want people to listen and be obedient to, to the, the Spirit of God and be obedient to Christ. That's what we, we should want. And so we let the gospel saturate their heart and let the Spirit lead them. So let's, let's talk about um, five, five resolutions that we can take away from our study through the book of Philemon. And the first one, um, the first one's really where we're going to spend the bulk of our, our time. Because I, I really just feel like it has the uh, greatest implications. So we resolve to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We have to know where the truth and hope, where true truth and hope and wisdom is found. And if we're, if we're going to start to think about life through the lens of the gospel, then we're going to have to immerse ourselves in its truths. So here's my question for you. What is the gospel? Like, how would you answer that? How would you answer that question? Like, if if I grabbed this microphone and started walking around the room and just randomly handing the and we can do that. Y'all want to do that? Y'all like, no, do not. I am not in on that. But like, how how would you answer that? Like, the gospel is at the core of the Christian faith. 
don't you think Christians should have an answer for what the gospel is? Right? So we, we, should, know what the, we should know what the gospel is. But I can assure you that if I passed out, so we're not handing the microphone out because that's too much, too far, Brian. But, but if I handed out sheets and I said, okay, I want you to just one sheet define the gospel. Some of you would be one sentence. Some of you would point out this. Some of you would point out parts of the gospel. Some of you would maybe say something doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. I don't know. But the point is, is um, there will be a lot of different answers that we get in this room. Agreed? And so, so what is the gospel? How do we even know? I mean, how would, so maybe, maybe you grab your Bible and you're like, okay, well, I'm smart enough to go to the back and I'm going to look in the concordance. I'm going to find the word gospel and I'm just going to start going to, and like, I'm going to, well, the gospel's listed. Remember, gospel oozes out of this entire book, but the gospel's only listed one time in, in one verse and you really don't get an understanding of what the gospel is in that one verse. And so like, what, what, what would you do? Where, like, what verse are you going to go to in the Bible that's going to give you a, an explicit definition of what the gospel is? Where are you going? I mean, I think the best, you, you know, there's, I mean, the gospel is, is ingrained in every page of Scripture is the answer. That's, that's the answer. It's ingrained in every page of Scripture. I think the best description of the gospel is the entire book of Romans. So there you have it. All right, so we don't get it from one verse. Or you can, you can go to Acts chapter 2 when Peter at the Pentecost, and he just lays, what he does is he just lays out the gospel and people respond. There's thousands that respond and come to, come to faith in Christ. So, but the point is, 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 you know, if you asked a carpenter what's a hammer, do you think he's going to have any problem telling you what a hammer is and what it's used for? And how you have different hammers. And they have, they have different, you know, you have a different hammer for a different need. Like you have different, and they wouldn't have any trouble telling you exactly what you do with the hammer, what you use with the hammer, what you don't use with the hammer. If you uh, asked a basketball player what a basketball is, they're not going to have any problem telling you what a basketball is, what you can and can't do with the basketball. They're not going to have any problem, any part of that. But oftentimes when it comes to, to the, the conversation about the gospel, we, we withdraw. Like, we're like, I don't, like, we don't have any confidence. I can't say that for everybody. I'm just saying for most people who sit in church week after week after week, they don't have a whole lot of confidence to be able to talk about and have a conversation and describe what the gospel is. And so that should not be, that should not be true. And so Paul's not having to sort through this. This is so much a part of who he is. It's so saturated. His heart is so saturated with the gospel that it just, it just flows out of him. And, and I think one of the biggest problems that we have for, for sharing the gospel with people and living the gospel out is so many people in the church don't know what the gospel is or maybe forgotten because they thought that, hey, well, I needed that at salvation, but now that I'm a Christian, I no longer need the gospel or just become indifferent to it. I don't know, but here's the, here's the thing I know. People talk about the things that they love. Agreed? People, people make decisions, life decisions, everyday decisions around the things that they love, the things that are important to them. We talk about the things that we love. So imagine, you know, somebody who's just had their first child. Man, it's like, you know, social media is just blown up with all these things. You know, baby's first this, baby's first that, one-month picture, two-month picture, three-month picture, right? Now we got videos of them crawling. Look at them. Look at them. They're smiling, right? And like every moment is captured. Do you think they're embarrassed or worried about what people think? Do you think that they're... No. Rightfully so. And this doesn't just go for parents. This goes for grandparents too. Like, you know, how many times have you been standing in the line at Walmart and grandparents got like pictures out because they don't really do the whole social media thing. So they got pictures out and they're like showing you their grandkids or maybe they do have pictures on their phone. But like people... People, you, you, it doesn't take long. You spend enough time around somebody, it doesn't take long for you to figure out exactly what they love, to find out exactly what is important to them. Agreed? And the same thing's true for, for us. It doesn't take long. You spend time around, like, what, what, what people do on their weekends when they, when they have free time. Like, it's clear, it's crystal clear what's important to people and what people are fluent in. I was thinking about, the fact that what God wants for us is gospel fluency, that it would just flow out of us. I, I, want you to, 
I want you to think of somebody who, who plays sports or like they're passionate about sports. And they, man, they're not shying away from a conversation. It drives what they, the way they think, what they do. They know all the stats on their favorite players. They know all the stats on their favorite team. They know all the players that play on their team. That They're looking to have a conversation. And if you kind of show any interest at all, then they'll just, man, it's like, okay, well, I just got myself into a 45-minute conversation about something that I really didn't care about. I asked the wrong question, and look what happened, okay? My wife does that all the time. She asks people the wrong question and an hour later, right? But... But it doesn't take long. for if, if, you're, if something's important to you, if you love something, it doesn't take long to figure, figure that out when you spend time around people. And again, they're not worried about what people think. They're not even worried about having all the, all the reasons that we don't. They're not worried about those things. And we have things in our life that are like that too. Like we have no problem having a conversation about stuff because it's something that's that's important to us. Well, how did they get there? How how did we get there? It, it came through spending time. It, you spend time with your kids. You love them. You spend time with your grandkids. There's a deep affection and love for our kids and for our grandkids. You spend enough time researching, going to the games, being a part of this thing, being a part of the team, being a part. Like there's you spend time. And through spending time, your love and affection and understanding and knowledge and everything grows. And then it becomes to just saturate your heart and your mind. And then it just naturally flows out of you. That's the way it works in real life. Well, that's the way it's intended to work in Christianity. That's what the gospel is intended to to be and to, to do. And as we immerse ourselves in the truth of the gospel, what ends up happening is we grow. We grow in our knowledge. We grow in our understanding. We grow in our love for God. We grow our awe of the goodness of God just expands, right? And then that changes the way that we see and the way that we speak and the way that we, the way that we live. And then we begin to see how everything from mundane to magnificent is so important and transformed by the hope of of the gospel and it's fleshed out just through everyday life, everyday living, everyday circumstances, everyday scenarios. This is just this is just a situation in Paul's life. And he's instructing Philemon and he's instructing Onesimus and he's walking out the gospel in his own life. And every single day we get up, we have everyday stuff and we have opportunities. And sometimes there are difficult opportunities like this. Sometimes there's tension. And sometimes it's just everyday opportunities. Opportunities to us to, to, as our lives have been intersected with the gospel and love of God, we've experienced that. Then we carry that to the world around us. And these opportunities, we just want to live out the gospel in front of the world around us to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. So to our next point, we resolve to love our neighbor. We resolve to love our neighbor. And so what happens is, is we, we receive and experience the love of God. And when we come to know the love of God, we seek to make that love known to the world around us. And the thing is, is we understand, as, as Paul unpacks here, we understand exactly what was given for us. We, we understand what, exactly what was done for us. And then we give ourselves to those same things. We do the same things for the people around us. How could we not? After God has done so much for us, after He has, after He has, He has stepped in. He has paid our debt that we are that we are received by the Father based on the work of the Son. Like after we've done all that, He like, how could we not respond to the world around us in the same? In the same way, like it would make no sense that God would bless us in such a way and show us favor and and pour out his love upon us. And yet we would just hold that in for ourselves. No. I mean, when Jesus is asked, what's the most important, um, what's the most important whenever he's asked, like what's most important? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to what? 
to love your neighbor because that's naturally going to flow out of the life of somebody who's, who's experienced the love of God. It makes total sense. And so we've got to be a conduit through which the love of God flows to the world around us. God gave himself for us. We are to give ourselves for the people around us. And when the awe of Jesus captures our hearts, what ends up happening is that we become missionaries for God. We become missionaries for God. And, we, and so where's our mission field? That's right. Wherever your feet are planted, that's your mission field. And there are times where we, where we go uh, and we, we'll take trips to other countries and do other things, and God's called us to do that. But if we do that and, and discount where we work and where we go to school and where we, um, where we shop and where we, like, no. Just the other day, my, my wife stopped at the grocery store yeah, two days ago. And she was grabbing something. She was looking for a snack. So she was looking for some cuties. Um, y'all like cuties? Huge fan. Way better than oranges. But anyway, um, so she's looking around. She's looking for them. And some little old man looks and says, hey, you looking for me? <laughs> like, like, and so, uh, I mean, she was like, he was a little bitty and he was old. And I don't remember exactly how the conversation goes. But he just starts um, just just sharing his heart. Just share, you know what I mean? Like he saw her as a as a person created by God. And then he's like, hey, you're a, basically, long story short, he's like, hey, you're, you're a Christian. He said, and I can sense it because I can sense the spirit of, of God in you. And, and he like prayed with her in the middle of the store and he like just poured out his heart and encouraged her. And, and it was like, it was in a moment where like it was just right on time in a time where she needed, she needed that. And so, like, but the point is, is he didn't just go to the grocery store to get some groceries. He understood that his, his mission field is wherever his feet are planted. And the same thing is true for us. And so when we go places, when we do things, we've got to do what Jesus did. Jesus always saw the people that were right in front of him. It was never about the, the objective or what's on the schedule or the list of things to do. It was who was standing in front of him. And how could the gospel intersect their lives and make a difference for them? And so that guy, he wasn't talking to an unbeliever. My wife knew Christ, but he could encourage her. And so sometimes it's encouraging people in the faith. And sometimes it's, it's talking about people who don't know who Jesus is. And sometimes it's just loving people through a physical act. And it doesn't matter. The point is, is that when we, when we walk out this life, when we go from here to wherever it is that we're going, when we leave this place, like God is sending us out for the gospel to intersect people's lives. That's what he's calling us to do, to bring the gospel. Well, what does it look like? It looks like love. That's what it looks like. Love accompanied with truth. And it's both. It's grace and truth. And that's the that scripture says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And as, as Christians, that's what we're called to, that's what we're called to be as well. This is how Philemon and Onesimus came to be believers. They crossed paths with Paul. And that's what should be happening for you and for me. As people cross our paths, they should be seeing Christ in us and we should be pointing people to him. That's what we're called to do. Number three, we resolve to prioritize the kingdom. We resolve to prioritize the kingdom. Even if it means, even if it means looking foolish. Matt hit on this last week. He was talking about how, um, you know, oftentimes what God calls us to do is not logical. The logical answer isn't oftentimes, um, isn't oftentimes the answer that, uh, so the logical thing isn't always the gospel thing. Let me say that, right? What makes sense, you know, so that means that there are going to be times as Christians that we're going to look foolish to the world around us. When we, when we don't, participate in the things that the world participates i mean just think of what the the world would say to philemon in this situation oh no you got to get even he's got to pay for what he did what he did to you that that wasn't right and if you don't if you don't put him in his place right now 
then he's going to continue to take advantage. And you know what else? All those people, all the other people in your life, all the other people that you have relationships with, they're going to take advantage of you too because they're going to see you as a pushover. And so you got to put your foot down and you got to do something. That's not the gospel thing. We don't make people pay. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences and we don't we just let people walk all over. I'm just saying that the point is is that the logical thing isn't always the gospel thing. And we got to be able to differentiate the two. So, to put that in a nutshell, let's just put it this way. The reputation of Christ and the church must be more important to us than our own reputation. What people think of us is not the most important thing. What people think of Christ is the most important thing. That's, that's the most important. And not only that, sometimes this ticks me off. I'm just going to be honest with you. The bride of Christ is very personal to him. And the way in which people represent and talk about the bride of Christ, it's important. And so we need to be very careful about not only how we represent, but how we talk about the church and how we talk about people in the church. We've got to be really careful that, that it's meant to be a place of, of unity. And so that's number four. We resolve to live in Christ-centered harmony. And that's what Paul is pushing Philemon and Onesimus here. That, that he's saying, hey, like reconciliation has come to us. And so Onesimus... You need to go reconcile. And Philemon, you need, to, you need to reconcile. And when reconciliation has come to us, it awakens us to this love and this desire for reconciliation in the lives of the people around us. That's, that's, what, that's what he's called us to. That's what he's, he's done for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, go home, and, go home and read it. Like He has given us the ministry of, he has reconciled us to himself and therefore given us the ministry of reconciliation. That we are to bring reconciliation into the lives of the people around, especially within the body of Christ. You know, we love to, to reference the, the passage of Scripture that says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Well, that's awesome in the lives of the people that are easy to love and that we get along well with. But sometimes it doesn't, doesn't say that, like, it's, it's the body of Christ. And so we're called to... Now, I'm not saying you need to be best friends with everybody and you're going to have everybody over to your house for dinner, but the world will know the way in which we love, right? We'll know that we're His disciples by the way in which that we love one another. And that happens all the time here. It happens all the time here. But the opposite sometimes happens too. And so what we want to do is we want to we be a people who are resolved to Christ-centered harmony. And then lastly, we resolve to glory in the gospel every day. We resolve to glory in the gospel every day. So let's just, let's just have a conversation as we end things tonight. That we, we have to understand the way in which the gospel is going to saturate our hearts and our lives is if we are confronted with the gospel every single day. If the gospel is, is, as we, um, as Robbie Gallaty puts it, as we get in the word, the word gets into us, right? As we spend time in the word, as the word of God, but as we immerse ourselves in the word of God, the word of God begins to take root and immerse it, uh, itself in our hearts and in our lives. And so we live in a world that is anti-gospel. We live in a world that is opposite of the gospel, just like the whole uh, point of how the world would say that uh, Philemon needs to handle this situation with Onesimus. Like we're living in a world where it's the opposite of the gospel. It's, it's constantly the people that you work with, the people in your life, they're going to they're gonna tell you and they're going to live out the opposite of what the gospel is. And we're going to be influenced. We, God created us to be influenced. We're to be influenceable because we're to be influenced by the people of God. We're to be influenced by the Word of God. But that means that we've got to spend time in the Word of God. And we've got to spend time with the people of God. And so we've got to immerse ourselves in those things. So that then the gospel will naturally flow out of our lives. It will flow out of our, our mouths. That, that the things that we love, right? will become evident to the people around us. And the thing that we love most, and I'm not saying, hey, you can't 
You can't love your kids. You can't love sports. Like That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should love Christ above all things. And that should be the greatest love that impacts everything else that we, we do. That that would impact the way that we love our kids and we see our kids and the sports that we play and the, the stores that we go to and the places where we work. And like those things would impact that. That God has, has called us to, to that. That, that, would, that he would be the thing that we love above all else. And so this, this truth is going to have to be, we're going to have to be reminded every single day because you know what? We forget. We forget. I forget. I forget. And I'm influenced by the world around me. We forget. And it's hard. And we live in a world that's hard. And so we've got to be reminded continually about the goodness of God. We've got to be reminded. But what a, and so don't just approach, approach Easter like, hey, I'm going to get dressed up and come to church on Sunday like this, this. Bit. No, like it's a, it's a time for us. It's a time for us to gather around and be reminded of exactly what was accomplished through Christ. Exactly what was accomplished through his life and his coming. Exactly what was accomplished through his death. That, that our penalty was nailed to the cross. That that debt was paid. That account has been cleared. And then he rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating sin. And it's a reminder of exactly what was accomplished through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's not just a holiday. And so every time we've got to just continually do, to, because it just becomes another, it's just another Easter. It's just another thing. We got another thing planned out. You know, we got lunch after it at the house and we've got to go take pictures and we've got to, no. Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He, he was slaughtered so that we could have life with Christ, that we now can stand before God, not on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. I and mean, he will receive us based on what Christ has done. It's Easter, right? And so we got a reason to worship. We got a reason to get up every single day. We got a reason to go to work. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about cuties at Walmart. It's not about any of that. It's about Christ. It's about the gospel. It's about the difference that we get to make. I mean, stop about the fact that we're reminded who we were. We aren't them anymore. That we now have an identity in Christ. Our identity is in him. And we can stand before God based on our identity in Christ. And not only that, but he's invited us in. That we get to participate with him. That we get to be a part of building his kingdom, that we get to be a part of investing our lives in things that will last far beyond what takes place here, temporary things. Like we get to do that. Every single day, we have the opportunity to live out the gospel in every situation that we face. Every day. Every day. And that is an unbelievable privilege. And I don't understand it because I know who I was and I know who I am. But God is good. And so if we leave here tonight, hopefully we can just stand in awe of the goodness of God. Be reminded of just what an amazing God that we serve. And just how unbelievably blessed we are to play a part in, the, in building his kingdom here in this life. It's a gift. It's a gift. And so in the book of Philemon, we can just see a perfect example. This is what the gospel looks like in real life. Now let's go do it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for Christ. Where would we be apart from him? Your salvation story, your gospel story, we couldn't have dreamed it up in a million years. You're so good. You're so intentional. And God, we're just grateful for how you're in the business of, of changing lives. In the same way that Onesimus showed up to Philemon, a different man. There's so many people in this room that they've been changed. We've been changed by the gospel. And I pray that that, that change, God, that, that it fleshes itself out, that the gospel would just flesh itself out in our lives. When we leave here tonight, when we get up tomorrow, it's so easy to just get caught up in the day-to-day -day things, routines, and forget about exactly what the gospel is meant to be as we live our lives each and every day. 
And so thank you for the reminders. We've studied this, this book. And help us to, to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to, to live this out the way in which you've called us to live it out. And the, the unbelievable thing is, God, all the different people here and all the different ways that you're speaking and you're calling us to, to step out in obedience and, and what this looks like specifically for each person here, it looks different. And that's why, that's why Paul didn't tell Philemon what to do. God, you, you're at work calling us to respond in different ways. And so I don't stand here tonight telling people what to do other than to, to look to you, to let their hearts be saturated with the gospel and to step out in obedience in whatever it is that you call us to do. It's not our plan. It's not our will. It's yours. It's your plan. It's your will. We belong to you. And I just pray that we would, that we would answer the call to whatever it is you're calling us to. We thank you again for Christ, that we don't, have to, we don't have to go at it alone. You hadn't left us alone. You've given us his spirit to, to do the things you called us to do. So we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.